Well, good morning. If you're staring at me and going, who dat? And you're like, is that that Mike dude who helped start the church? Because he got a little shorter than I remember. The answer is no. Like Mike, I used to be on staff here as well. My name's J.D. Larson. And if you're like, is that the J.D. Uh, that's uh, married to our pastor? And the answer is no. I'm also married to a pastor, which is super confusing. And also best friends with those guys, which is, makes it awkward most of the time. So I'm not either one of those things, and I am both of those things, a pastor's wife and a former pastor here. My wife and I were on staff for a number of years as associate pastors until we launched North City Church with a group of people from this church back in 2019. You can applaud for that. That's amazing. That's actually what I'm here to talk about. I'm super excited to talk about this because I hear you all are in a series where you're kind of looking back in some way and telling the story of Mill City in different chapters. And the chapter of the story that I'm here to communicate this morning is Mill City, along the way, chose to be a church-planting church and has always had that spirit of abundance about them. I was talking to Pastor Steph, and she said that uh, along its history, six different church plants have used your midweek space, the Mill City Commons, ourselves included at a season. And in fact, right now as we speak, this morning, there is a brand new church that's two months old called Espiritu Santo Church, who's hosting their first Spanish-speaking service at the Mill City Commons. Isn't that exciting? It's awesome. And I, I'm, I'm, so, uh, I'm so excited to come and share a little bit of the why behind that, why Mill City chooses to be a church planning church and why that's important and why that fits in your mission and our shared mission to love our community, our neighbors in the name and the way of Jesus. So I'm going to look at uh, John 2 and kind of continue some conversations that you've already been having. So if you want to turn in your Bible there, I'm not going to read it for a while, but if you're like one of those people who likes to get super prepared, you can do that now. Let me pray first and welcome God into the time we have together, and and hopefully he'll share something with us and speak something to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, we just come into your presence so grateful and thankful for what you've done through our churches. God, we come to you this morning with many different hearts. God, some of them tired some of them excited, some of them worn out. God, we know this about you, that you can speak to every single one of us and continue to challenge us, encourage us, and most of all, just tell us how much you love you, how much you love us. God, would that be something we hear from you this morning as we look at your word together? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you in your life have uttered the phrase, there's got to be a different way to do this. Yeah, I see a couple hands, a couple honest people in the audience. In my household, that happens probably most often when I'm working on house projects and my wife uh, sticks her head around the corner and says, there's got to be a different way to do that. Sometimes in life, we utter this phrase. And a couple years ago, I said that phrase out loud. I was visiting Utah with my family, Zion National Park. We just had one kid at the time, our Rosie, our first, and we decided to take her horseback riding. 
She loves horses, so she was very excited, and I was super nervous because I hadn't been on a horse since kindergarten, and I don't know what that's all about. So uh, they have this amazing process where, like, uh, I don't know if all of them do this, but this particular uh, outfitter did this, where, like, the horses parade down, and they come to you, and the horse chooses you. You don't choose the horse. I'm not sure that's legit, but it sounds awesome. And of course, maybe this is why it actually works, the horse that chose me was Nacho. And I love nachos, so it makes complete sense. So uh, they put me on Nacho sort of in a hurry, and then they put Rosie on with a guide on the, like, nicest horse possible. And we set off on our ride, and we were loving it. Oh, my goodness, it was amazing. I love the movie Nacho Libre, so at every corner I was like, Nacho! He would turn. If you don't know that movie, if, if it's like not of your generation, I brought a picture of Nacho Libre with me. Just kidding. This is J.D. O'Brien. I told you I was committed to uh, showing you guys the difference. Here's actual Nacho Libre. Here's the other J.D. slash husband's or pastor's husband. The things you can do when the pastor is not in the house. I love it. What were we even talking about? Horseback riding. That's right. So this trip went on. We went went a little bit further, and uh, my knees started to ache, like, real bad. And I'm like, you know, I was born in Red Wing, lived in Wisconsin. I've got the, like, stoic Swede thing down, and I was like, I'm not going to say anything about it. I'll figure it out myself, which is a horrible idea. So we got to this, like, peak looking out over this beautiful sunset. Everybody's enjoying it, and my knees are killing me. And so I kind of get up next to the guide, and I'm like, my knees are killing me. Am I doing something wrong here? And she looks over at me and she goes, whoa, you look like a frog on top of a rock. Those stirrups are so high. And my knees were just off, off the charts high. And she's like, there's a different way to do that. And that wasn't the only time that's happened in my life. That's a funny story. But there is stories of my life that are full of much more pain than just my knees aching where I've come to the realization there's got to be a different way to do this. Maybe one of those instances came for you in this last year that's been a crazy, painful year for a lot of us that, if you're anything like me, has exposed some ways that I was living that brought up that question. Part of what we're a conversation that you're a part of is a conversation about how Jesus' story can change our story. That means you individually and our story as, as churches trying to love our neighbors in his way and in his name. What I want to say this morning is that Jesus came on the scene in part to show us a different way to see and a different way to be. And in these moments, as followers of Jesus, we have to ask the question, what difference does Jesus make in my life? What difference does Jesus make in our lives as the church? So, John chapter 2, let me set that up for you a little bit before we open it up together. Two weeks ago, Pastor Steph preached on the first uh, chapter of John, where there's this beautiful poem where she focused on the line that says, or has been translated, Jesus put skin on and moved into the neighborhood. That was a way of saying that Jesus dwelled among us, the incarnation. John's gospel, I love to think about it as a love story between heaven and earth. 
N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says something similar, and I got it from him, not the other way around. Let's just be clear. He said, John's gospel is about the marriage of heaven and earth. This is a love story of how a God is coming to show his amazing love for the world that he cares about. So it's only fitting that in chapter 2, at the beginning of the Jesus story, we get a story about a wedding. So read with me in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And full disclosure, bit of a Bible nerd, if you haven't noticed already. So if I stop along the way, my apologies. Hopefully it's kind of fun. Chapter 2, verse 1, and John says this. On the third day, wait a moment. Promise I won't stop on like that all the time. This phrase, on the third day, is akin to to the first century Christians hearing a song like we just sung, Graves to Garden. Immediately they would think, ooh, the third day, something's going to happen. It's foreshadowing for the end of the story. Jesus is about to do something that shows us about who he ultimately is, something deeper than the immediate circumstances that we see in front of us. Later on, John will call this a sign. Let's keep reading. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, I love this exchange, they have no wine. That would be like a mother of an all-star athlete saying, they're losing the game. They're out of wine, she says. Woman, and please don't read that as derogatory or anything. It's actually a a term of uh, affection between them. Mother, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Also a classic mama move. Like, sure, yeah, you can have some commentary, but you're doing this. Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jewish ceremonial washing. It's important, I'll come back to that. Each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first sign through which he revealed his glories. And his disciples, his followers, believed in him, trusted in him. Man, maybe this this, uh, story is familiar to you, or maybe it's the first time, but I think just about every time I read this, it raises some new questions for me. What is Jesus really trying to communicate here? What is really Jesus doing here? Is he just responding to a moment or is he saying something deeper? How is this a sign of his glory and how does it uh, help his disciples trust him? 
I said earlier, Jesus comes on the scene to show us a different way to see and a different way to be. In the language you've been using, Jesus invites us into a different story. Here's how I think there's a different way to see. As a pastor, you go to a lot of weddings, hopefully because you're friends with people, but also because you, you're kind of the one who runs them. And I've been to a lot of weddings, mostly ones that Pastor Christian Ann has put on, and I've had a, a long uh, data intake on weddings, and here's the deal breaker. None of them go perfectly. There's always something that comes up in the midst of them. And we always talk about weddings as our perfect day. Everything's going to go awesome. So much finance, so much money goes into it, so much thought and so much planning. If you're hearing this and you're engaged, yours is going to be different. It's going to be amazing. Not really. So listen. So much investment goes into them when we talk about the perfect day. But like awkward family tension comes out. It comes out sometimes in the middle of the ceremony and it's super weird. Your plans don't go the way that you planned them sometimes. And part of what we need to learn from this story where these couples experiencing the same thing is so it is with life. So it is with life. And this story, I think, is about God's response to those moments in our life where we, wanna, where we run out of wine. I referenced 2020 earlier. Maybe that was a moment for you where things that were okay in the background became forefront because of the pressures that was 2020, early 2021, and you ran out of wine, so to speak. What Jesus does is show us a different way to see in the midst of those moments when we run out of wine. I came across this quote from one of my favorite authors the other day that I think really captures the different way that Jesus in this story and Jesus throughout his whole life and what, what it meant for the disciples to trust him communicate about a different way to see. It's from Henry Nouwen. He says this, Here lies the hidden and great call of conversion. Conversion is a word that etymologically just means a different way to see it, to turn a new perspective, to trust Jesus, if you will. The invitation is to, to look not with the eyes of our own low self-esteem, but with the eyes of God's love, God's agape love. In all these circumstances in this story, it was a tragedy for them to run out of wine. No, I wonder sometimes reading this story if they knew they might run out of wine. Like the circumstances of their life did not permit paying for enough wine. And they went into this wedding full of shame. And it happened. Here's our God's response to that in some sense. He looks at that and he says, my response to you running out is abundance. My response to your shame is abundant love. That's the beginning of the love story with God. The invitation for us, as Henry Nouwen says, is to not look at our lives through the prism of running out of wine, but to look at our lives through God's extravagant abundance. Scholars who've analyzed this say that's about 800 bottles of wine that he made. Talk about some serious Ubers needing to be called that evening. It's a bold statement of how much our story can be about God's love and not so much about our low self-esteem. 
Christian Ann, uh, my wife, has been in the habit of putting up uh, different quotes and stuff. And here's another Henry Nouwen quote that I avoided looking at for a long time. Do I truly want to be so totally forgiven that, uh, that a completely new way of living becomes possible? That's 800 bottles of wine versus generosity. I said this shows us a different way to see our lives and others, but also a different way to be. I said I talk about those those Jewish ceremonial washing jars. There's no sort of insignificant detail in the Bible. If you look at that, Jesus very intentionally chooses those things. Those were a symbol of the system that they were used to relating with God through. Purity, washing, guilt trip. Many people would have these in their household next to their bathtub. I don't know if they had bathtubs. Whatever they washed with, they would wash their body, and then they would do ceremonial washing, which is just kind of evidence of how ingrained and obsessed they were with getting right with God through their own actions. And it's no small thing that Jesus uses that symbol and transforms it into this ridiculously generous, abundant, lavish sign of love for his people. You know, I've come to a painful realization when I ask the question, people who look at the church and people who look at Christianity, do they most often see Jewish, Jewish cisterns or 800 bottles of wine? What have you seen when you looked at Christianity? Do you most often see a system, like many perceive, a sneaky way for you to feel guilty? Or do they see the lavish, abundant, agape love of God? At the end of this, as I said, this whole story, the outcome was that the disciples believed in Jesus. And Pastor Steph a few weeks ago talked about how that wasn't just intellectual assent, that they believed the right things. They started to act and trust, which is the right way to understand that in so so many ways. They began to trust Jesus differently. My opa, who is my grandpa on my mom's side, I call him opa, had this axiom that he lived by. It wasn't his, but it was really important to him. He said, it's easier to act our way into a new way of thinking than to think our way into a new way of acting. If we're asking the question, what difference does Jesus' agape abundance make in our lives and how does it change the other lives around us? We might say something like, it's easier to be your way into a new way of seeing than to see your way into a new way of being. Or even more contextualized, if you want to see, if you want to see the way God sees, if you want to see with agape love towards you, your neighbor, and your world, love the way Jesus loved. To put simply, love, live Jesus' story in your own life, and you'll begin to act your way into seeing the way God sees you. In order to see God's amazing agape love, we need a new way to be. So when we look at the disciples' life, what was one of those ways? If you keep reading in the story, what happens right after this is Jesus goes straight to the temple, the epicenter of the way that they related with God, and starts flipping some tables over. That story is primarily about, when you look at the rest of his life, Jesus, in so many ways, replacing the temple with his own very presence. 
and how the disciples practice the presence of Jesus, this expression of agape love, if you keep reading, they can't stop eating with people and the wrong people. In so many ways in the Gospels, Jesus replaces the temple with the table. That was a new way to be. The simplest way that they could express this agape love was to eat with tax collectors, eat with people who sold their bodies for sex who they weren't supposed to. They were so generous. It became their expression primarily of church. There was a new way to be that developed in them a new way to see the people around them. You know, North City, if you know anything about us, we've been sort of wrecked by that reality. It's so impressed on us that if we have this call to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, we ought to do that in many ways like Jesus did. I got to tell you and just be honest with you, you sent us out as a church plant. You were so generous to send us out. And back in March, it was not looking great. Our church, in many ways, ran out of wine. We were doing things the way that we thought we should. And there wasn't many neighbors coming through our doors. And it was hard to reconcile our mission to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we didn't even see them on a Sunday. And so we started to just have some really tough conversations and say, hey, if there's a different way to be, what does that look like? And as I said, these seeds of table were planted in our church from the very beginning. And we went on this discernment journey, and we decided to do something differently. We decided to become a table-centric church. What that means is that our worship gatherings are community meals. They're community dinners where we say, hey, neighbors, come and eat at our table. It's not even our table. It's Jesus' table, but someday you'll find out. What we say at North City is that we do community dinners because we want strangers to become neighbors and get invited into the family of God. Here's a couple pictures that I brought along of this. This summer, we have seen 60 new neighbors come in the four times or five times that we've done this. I, I mean, yeah, sweet. Yeah, that's awesome to clap. You got to understand that that's more than I think we've experienced in our whole existence as a church plant. It's amazing what happens when you're willing to step into something different. Step into something different. I love this. Uh, if you want to bring up that quote, Micah, uh, from uh, verse 4, where it says, oh, I wonder if I have that with me, where it says, this interpretation of my time has not yet come. It says, this will, or do you have it on there? Oh, look, I could just turn around and read it. Thank goodness. My dear one, you do not understand that this, that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. That's agape love. We as Christians who live into the way of Jesus have an invitation to be different, to choose things that cost us, that may not cost other people around us. Mill City is a church that's continually chosen to do that. I was talking to Pastor Steph the other day, and she said, you know, when we launched North City, we were super nervous about what that would do to our financial health, being so generous to launch you guys. She said, do you know, every single month since we've decided to do that, we have not had a deficit. There has been abundance that has come after choosing 
to do something that will cost you something. This is what the church needs to be called to. How does Jesus' story shape our story? What difference does Jesus' agape abundance make in your life, and how does it change the way we live? There's three things to just nail, think, nail things down here. To see with God's love your own eyes instead of your lone self-esteem. What will you do when the wedding, uh, a wedding at Cana moment comes up in your own life? When it's inconvenient to love? At work, when there's that new person, when you really want to spend your lunch getting that project done, what will it mean to choose God's abundance and sit across the table from them, even when you're not called to or you don't have to? There are so many stories of this at Mill City. And you know what, Mill City? You can't live off these stories that I'm telling of the past. You have to continually choose God's abundance, and it will cost you something. And I know this about you. You're committed to that. You're committed to God's abundance. I want to invite the band to come up. I hope something in you maybe stirred this morning because more people knowing about this abundant God will take you saying yes to those moments in your life. It took about 30 or 40 people who sit in the seats that you were sitting in a couple years ago to saying, these seats are really nice. Uh, This church I love, and it cost them something to start a new church. And I hope that will be the story of uh, Mill City going forward because it will be a story of God's abundance if it is. If you want to know more about North City, what we're doing, the first thing to do is just come eat with us. We meet at 5. We're not meeting today, but check out our website and our social media. Come and eat at these community dinners. It's really amazing to see neighbors who started out with the idea just to go to the park and became became people who are sitting across the table laughing and sharing life together. The other thing I'd say, and Steph gave me complete permission to do this because we're not in competition, we're in cooperation. If something in your heart is stirred about that vision of being a church that's centered around a table, come join us. Come celebrate it with us. Come on the journey of discovering what a different way to be could look like. And if you want to just come help us, we could use your help. Come help us serve a meal. Come eat with us and just hang out. So come find me afterwards uh, if you'd like to do that. Let me pray just to conclude our time. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the one who says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in and eat with you because I love you. God, however we're walking into today, whether we're holding on to those parts of our story that are evidence that we've run out of wine, we're looking at our future through that lens. God, we give that to you in this moment. And we say we want to begin to see with that agape love, that 800 bottles of wine sort of extravagant love. Jesus, would you empower our communities to be a light to our city, to be the churches in our city who want more of that, who want more people coming into the saving knowledge of your love for them. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.